Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. I think the 5 p.m. service is San Diego's best-kept secret. It's an awesome time where you can go eat dinner, come to church, get to sleep in. Hey guys, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you saw that video or when you were getting together and you were praying for life groups, if God has put that on your heart, whether it's a leader group, maybe it's a host a group, or maybe just be a part of a group and have fellowship besides just coming to church on Sunday and saying hi or good morning to someone and leaving, maybe actually going a little deeper in a relationship, connecting, building friendships that can last a lifetime. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you come with us tonight, and I know you're already with us, but just be with us. Have your Holy Spirit just just show us exactly what you want us to hear tonight from your word. Convict us of your truths. And God, by that, by your truth, let us act upon that and let you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So I don't know about you guys, but relationships are, are kind of complicated, right? You know, sometimes you got some really crazy, stubborn, just really hard to deal with people, right? Sometimes we could be some crazy, stubborn, just really hard to deal with people, right? I mean, you ever been in a relationship, whether it was a boyfriend, girlfriend, or it was a spouse, or maybe it was a coworker or or a friend where, ugh, they just like, they just got to you, and you, sometimes you just argue, and you get frustrated with them. You're just like, man, can you get it together? And then you're sitting there, and, 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 and you go back, and after getting an argument, you kind of get in your head a little bit, and you get this anxiety. You can't sleep because you're, you're thinking about an argument with someone. You're having an argument with somebody, and they're not even in the same room with you. There's no peace in that. Matter of fact, when you look at the person, you start seeing only the bad in them and not the good. And that bad, because of your frustration and anxiety, gets magnified. So the little things become big things really fast. You know, if you're a Christian and you're having a relationship, whether it's friendship or a spouse with another Christian, and this is happening, what do you do? You know, there's one thing that unites us. It's Christ. But that requires a mutual submission. What does that mean? Both of you, both people have to submit to Christ in the relationship. You know, we're going to look at the story that Paul is writing to the church of Philippi about two people in church, two women who are having an argument. They were friends, and now they're having an argument, and it's causing problems in the church. And we're going to see how Paul dealt with this situation, and maybe we can look at and reflect how we could deal with some of the situations and relationships in our life. And we'll see if two people end up putting Christ at the center. Watch how God can take care of the rest. So if you take notes, and I encourage you to do, this is the first point. This is what, what Paul starts off by doing. By encouraging those you love to focus 
on Christ. Encourage those you love to focus on Christ. And he reads, go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. When you get there, say amen. amen. I know some of you guys didn't get there that fast. She's like, I got proof. <laughs> so Paul, he's talking to the church. And he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You see, the Philippian spiritual success would have been one of Paul's crowning achievements. His joy was watching them down here as they were growing in their faith. And his reward for that would be the crown. When his time here is done and her well done, good and faithful servant. You know, my first day of the doctor class, Dr. Wilson, he's our cohort director. He was telling us how he had just ambitions and sometimes that ambitions would get away from people in his life. And sometimes what really mattered in ministry. And, and so he got cancer, throat cancer. And half of his throat was paralyzed where sometimes he has trouble talking. He said, now my mission has been focused. Instead of focus on myself and getting my own successes, I started focusing on other people and their success and looking for the best in them so I can build and encourage and lift them up and make disciples Basically saying it just wasn't about me anymore. And so Paul, as he's sharing this, he's, he's going to go in and he's encouraging this church because he cares about their spiritual growth. It's not just about him and how many churches he's planted because he's planted so many churches. He's reached the gospel with so many people. Matter of fact, because of him, we are affected today. But he's letting him know it's, it's, it's more than that. But he wants them to stand firm. And, and, and the term stand firm is a military term. It's kind of like a person that stands firm but never budges. That's how he wants us to do in our faith. To stand firm in our faith and never budge no matter what comes our way. No matter what obstacles or trials or tribulations. To stand firm. But also in unity. He wants us to stand firm in unity for the sake of the gospel. Now, Paul has made many calls for the church for unity, to stay focused on Christ. And so the, the, the groundwork has already been laid for the issue that he's about to address right now. What he's going to tell them is that he wants them to be one in Christ. So one day he knows one in Christ. Go to verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintiq to agree on the Lord. You see, both Euodia and, and Sintiq, if I'm pronouncing it right, were very prominent people in the church. They had amazing women's ministry. And we don't know what the exact reason for the argument was. I, I believe, I don't think it was something doctrinal because just the way how, how Paul addressed it. It was more like a, a, sometimes people could just have two different personalities or two different ways of doing things or, or two different stubborn prides and, and just don't want to just submit to God and to move forward for the gospel and, and it's becoming a problem in the church. And that's kind of what they're dealing with right now. And, and the reason, and, and remember, this is a public letter. 
Everybody could read this. So for, by him writing in a public letter, it makes me think like this was kind of serious. It must have been affecting the whole church. So he has to address this issue. And the word entreat, or some translations say urge, well, it gives a sense of urgency, but it's also very personal because he cares about these people. But it's going to let us know two things. One, we can see that Paul is showing no partiality. He's not taking sides. These are both his friends. But two, the reason why he says, I entreat or I urge Yodia and, and I urge Cintiq, because it takes two to tango. Every relationship, it takes two to tango. It's never just one person's fault. No matter how much we think it is sometimes, no matter how mad we are at somebody, there's only one person that was ever perfect, and that was Christ. So all of us have a little something to blame when there's a conflict in a relationship. Amen? Now, is it possible for us to be on mission with others and have a broken relationship? Yes, it is. Is it okay to stay that way? No, it's not. But the reason why sometimes conflicts don't get resolved is either one or usually both people don't want to budge and they get the stubbornness and the pride comes in and they're like, what about me? Instead of what about Christ? Now, I would be lying to you if I said that in the years that I've been in ministry, that I've never saw something different than somebody I've done ministry with. That I've never had a conflict. That's a lie. Because sometimes people have totally different styles of doing things, totally different personalities, totally different ways. But you know what? When both are in Christ and both are submitted to Christ, they can look at the bigger picture. And they can compromise for the gospel. Sometimes we get in arguments with friends or family or coworkers. But we have to look at the bigger picture. You know, when Paul asked them to agree in the Lord, or sometimes you'll hear him say, um, live in harmony or be of the same mind, he's not asking them to be carbon copies of the other person. No. Why? Because we're different. All of us are different. We're all uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And so each of us, we have different ways of doing things. We have different talents, different gifts, some like this, some like that. But even though we're different and we celebrate our differences, we are still one in Christ Jesus. But it's not always easy, is it? And so Paul, he shows that reconciliation sometimes requires a third party. And he says, yes, I ask you also, my true companion. Now, the word true companion is like a, a mediator. You know, sometimes in civil court cases, they have a mediator because two parties just can't agree. So a mediator helps say, okay, I hear your side. I hear your side. Let's find a place in the middle. Helps give guidance and wisdom, and they settle on what's even and fair. Now, the true companion, even though it's not named in the English Standard Version, the word in the Greek actually means yoke fellow. And some, some churches look at that as like a deacon, upcoming deacon. But the reality is the true companion in a church context, if you had strife with somebody in the church or in your marriage 
or somebody that you served with or a family member and you went to this church, you would come and, hey, I need to talk to one of the pastors. I need, I need some counseling. And he strides and says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book. You know, Paul was especially eager for these two women to, to come together and resolve this. He was optimistic of this. He wanted the true companion, whoever that was, to come in and help them work this out. Why? Because they were his fellow workers in the gospel. They had been in the trenches together. They had did things together. He didn't want this to fall out. He was trying to show them that if they put Christ at the center, God will work out the rest. Number two, this one, this one's difficult. Our inner attitude doesn't have to reflect our outward circumstance. Our inner outer, our, our inner attitude doesn't have to reflect our outward circumstance. Hey, let me, you know what? Let me take a sec. Side back. You know how, like, when it said, my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life? You know, one could read that and say, well, how come he didn't name their names? Doesn't matter. It says their names are written in the book of life. So when they go, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us be a reminder that that's all that really matters. Our name doesn't have to be all out there. Just well done, good and faithful servant. So since we know now that our inner attitude doesn't have to reflect our outward circumstance. Paul is reflecting this in verse 4 and 5. It says, rejoice in the Lord always again. Everybody say again. again. I will rejoice. Paul is in prison urging them to rejoice. Can you imagine that? Some of you guys are having a hard time rejoicing right now. He's saying in prison rejoice. His side note, some of you guys don't know this, but there are some people who are doing life in prison right now and have more freedom than some of us here on the street. Because our inner attitude doesn't have to reflect our outward circumstance. You see, the reason why Paul had this inner joy is because no matter what happened, he knew that Christ was with him. His joy came from a deep contentment in the Lord. And when we find joy like that, like Paul had it, we start looking at our situation differently. When we find that type of joy, we start looking at people a little differently. You know, he goes on to say in verse 5, excuse me, he says, let your reasonableness, some translations say graciousness, be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand. The word reasonableness is crucial for maintaining community. Graciousness is crucial for maintaining relationships. Matter of fact, it's the very disposition that seeks what's best for everyone instead of oneself. And it's so beautiful how it implies both selflessness and respect for others. Why does he say it be known? So everybody would see it. That's why. Because believe it or not, division, it only affects the church, 
but it affects people's walk. And it makes people stumble. See, a lot of times we always think that we have a problem with someone or I'll fix that later. Maybe that's why Paul says the Lord is at hand. Because guess what? One day he is coming back and we will be held accountable. But not just that. We think that we're going to be on this world earth for forever. I don't know about you, but I've had somebody that I had conflict with and then passed away and I didn't get a chance to say I was sorry. Shouldn't be like that. It's time for us to start putting Christ at the center and let God take care of the rest. Number three, be anxious about nothing because we pray about everything. Be anxious about nothing because we pray about everything. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Does worrying about nothing mean that we're supposed to be careless? No, that's not biblical. We worry or be anxious about nothing because literally we're supposed to pray about everything. Prayer is the antidote to worry. Can you imagine if every time life threw one of its curveballs, instead of worrying about it and stressing about it and trying to pull out our hair, that we would just get down on our knees and start praying about it? You know how different our life would be? And I'm not talking about that stress praying. You know, you're praying like sometimes you're just complaining. You're just complaining to God. God, why is this like this? I don't want this to be like this. No, I'm not talking about that. I mean, really just coming to him and, and pouring out your heart and saying, God, I need some help. Don't forget how big our God is. We don't understand why things happen the way they do. And we can't control everything. But he's got us. And if anybody had an excuse to worry, if anybody did, it was Paul. You know how many churches that man had? And there were so many people in those churches with so many problems, going through so many issues. Pastor Pete thinks he has it bad. <laughs> Paul had it bad. Not just that, he's dealing with division in the church and he's in prison, possibly facing his own death. Worry, anxiety, stress. That stuff is really harmful for us. Really harmful. Matter of fact, the word anxious means to be pulled in different directions. That work. You see, cool that is. Hope pulls us in one direction while fear pulls us in another. You see, the English root word for worry is strangle. Enough worry strangles you. And it makes it where you can't breathe. You know, stress not only will affect you mentally, but it will affect you emotionally. 
but it'll also affect you physically. You send me reports of people, headache, ulcers, hair loss, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and more from too much stress. Because they're so busy worrying, having anxiety, and staying up in the middle of the night thinking about their problem. Instead of giving it to God, say, here, it's just too much for me right now. I need to hand this over to you. That's when we decide to not let worry become the great thief of joy. But by giving God the problem, we're saying, God, you are my center. And I'm going to trust you to take care of the rest. Then what happens? Well, I can promise you one thing. That's all I can promise you. Can't promise you everything, but I can promise you one thing. 3B, the peace that transcends all understanding. That's what I can promise you, that God can give you the peace that transcends all understanding. And sometimes, that's what we need. I don't know if everything that we pray for is what we really need. But I know what we really need is the peace of God in our lives. You see, when we have peace in our life, when the peace of God, we have peace in our life. It's not all that drama anymore. When we have the peace of God, we have peace in our relationships. See, God's peace is true peace. And it's the opposite of anxiety. It's literally the, the polar opposite. There's world peace and there's godly peace. And this is that tranquil type of peace. It transcends all human understanding. And when Paul, he says in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard reflects, you remember Paul's in prison. And he, he's with the Roman guards. This reflects that. But guess what? Besides that, nothing truly guards your heart or your mind, like the peace of God, that serenity that he's got it and he's in control. No matter what you're going through, no matter what storm you're facing right now, only the peace of God can help see you through it. And that comes through prayer, not worry. You know what it also does? It gives you an attitude of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving overflows in your life. That thanksgiving overflows in your relationship and how you look at people. Because you decided to put Christ at the center. And you finally let God take care of the rest. So there's three things, and then I'll kind of do my final illustration. But there's three things that I just really want you to take away with you tonight. The first thing is I want you to encourage those you love to focus on Jesus and be one in Christ. If your focus is on anything else but Jesus, you're not focused on the right thing. If you're not one in Christ, you're one in something else. Number two, no matter what you're going through right now, your inner attitude does not have to reflect your outward circumstance. This is what I mean by that. No matter how bad something is going in your life, the ship 
could be sinking. But when you got God, you know no matter what happens, no matter if you're in that water by yourself, you're going to be all right. Because you got Jesus. And that's all that really matters. And three, be anxious about nothing and pray about everything. Stop stressing out so much. Give it to God and watch. Instead of having this stress that overflows in, just so you know, just like a, a teapot, when the pressure gets too much, it pops. It overflows in everything that's around you. You might not be able to see it because maybe you're blinded right now. But everybody else will see it. Everybody else will feel it. So instead of letting it pop, instead of stressing out, start praying it out. And if God doesn't answer your prayer right away, you keep on praying and you don't stop praying. Because no matter what, God doesn't promise us everything that we want. We can pray for it and you pray for it. You pray for it like you never prayed for anything else in your life. But he always promised us him. You know, I'm thirsty. See this glass of water? You guys see it? Okay. This is an empty glass. Okay. Oops. I told you I was thirsty. You guys see this glass right here? How you look at this glass will help evaluate how you look at life. How you look at this glass will how you evaluate how you look at people. You see, this glass is either but two things. One, it is half empty. <sighs> Man, where's the rest of my water at? I'm so focused on the negative and we do that with our life sometimes. We're so focused on what we don't have or we're looking at people in our relationships and we're so focused on the negative. We're so focused on, oh, they don't do this or, or they don't have that that we totally miss out. Mm. On this water, that's so good. If only we could have a transformation in our thoughts in our relationships if only we could look at our situation if only we could look at people instead of being the negative side the half empty side we can start looking at the positive things we can start looking at things that we appreciate we can start looking at things that we love and say wow you know what other people might see this it's, it's half empty but I look at it as it's half full and this, this half that's full, mm, it's so good because it quenches my thirst and I'm so thirsty and I love having this water. I'm so glad I have something. But we can't do that 
We can't look at life through Jesus' lens until we actually put our Jesus goggles on and start looking at people the way he does. Start looking at our situation in life like he wants us to. Look, I'm going to plead to you right now, okay? If you have a situation in your life, maybe you have a relationship or you have a friendship, maybe a coworker, maybe it's a family member, that you're just not getting along. You guys aren't seeing eye to eye. Maybe you had a disagreement. Maybe you were arguing on the way over here. Maybe there's been a long history. I'm pleading you tonight to swallow your pride. Both of you. How many, both of you guys, everybody say both of you. Submit to Christ. Both of you. Submit to Christ. When you submit, you're humbling yourself. You're submitting to him and not yourself. And look, get along, be a one for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the testimony and the gospel is pushing forward. For the sake of that, for the sake, because you are Christian. And once you put Christ at the center, I plead to you, do that. Just watch in awe and watch God do the rest. And you'll be able to praise him and have a testimony of no other. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, Lord, we just come to you. We thank you so much for being our God. Life is not perfect, but you are. And we thank you for being with us, for never leaving us, for never forsaking us. Like that palm of the footprint, sometimes you got to carry us on through. So, Lord, tonight, I pray if there's anybody here who needs some transformation in their relationship, whether it's their spouse, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a family member, Lord, I pray that them and the other party decide to do what Paul is encouraging them to do. And that is to submit to the Lord, whether they got to get a third party and get some counseling or somebody to mediate the situation so they can focus on what they're supposed to focus and move forward instead of moving backwards. So, Lord, I pray for you to give us the peace beyond human understanding to guide us and lead us, give us wisdom and discernment, and carry us through the storm. But let our relationships at the end of the day, always glorify you and let us be transformed in those relationships tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.